Hello, everyone, and welcome back. This is David from the Magic and the Moon podcast, and today I am joined by Ashley from Seeking Witchcraft. Hello, Ashley. Hi, how are you? How's everyone doing today? Thanks for having me on. I'm so glad you're here. Do you want to uh, take a second and introduce yourself to the listeners? Sure. So my name is Ashley. Um, I run a podcast called Seeking Witchcraft. I started it back when I was at the end of my outer court training as just kind of like an informational an informational podcast on some of the things that I had picked up uh, during my time once I was really delving deeper into this topic. It started off with, you know, a 30 minute episode of, you know, here's, here's 30 minutes of a topic that I know, because I wasn't really sure I could talk about anything for longer than 30 minutes at the time. And uh, now it's definitely progressed into um, more of like an interview type style podcast with uh, people from different backgrounds and different expertise talking about some of the things that they know. And um, yeah, I have two cats and I work a full-time job outside of the witchcraft world and I'm running a coven and that's a little bit about me. That's awesome. And you sound very busy. (laughs) (laughs) Yes, very, very busy. (laughs) Well, I'm so glad you're here. And um, I think with kind of both of our backgrounds, I thought it would be cool to kind of address some more common like beginner-ish questions that come up often. And um, the first one is basically just kind of how, like, how do I start? Where do I begin? What do I look for? Um, Things like that. Yeah, sure. So I think that where when people ask where do they start, I think they need to take a step back and kind of see like, well, what do they want out of this? Are they looking to work with a group? Are they looking to do things more uh, like a solitary way just by themselves? Are they looking just to get some information about it? Or do they, are they looking to have this be a religious thing? So they might look more into Wicca. Or are they strictly interested in the witchcraft aspect of it? So I think that these are all important questions and things to consider before actually getting into a practice. Um, well, let me let me back that up. I think that it sometimes you don't really know what you want until you start actually reading the books or talking to people online or like seeing what's out there. So Good there's, point, yeah. two, there's two, yeah, there's two sides to that. You can either start reading the books and figure it out, but I don't think that it's harmful in any way to kind of be like, okay, well, what do I think I want out of this? But I will say from experience that usually what you think you want ends up being the complete opposite of what happens. <laughs> <laughs> yes. <laughs> so it's, it's a two way street. I, Love that you pointed that out just because I don't know if this was like your experience, but for me, I kind of like left my church boy upbringings and then was like overwhelmed by like the amount of options and like information that existed. And my challenge, I think the challenge still for a lot of like new people is kind of how can I tell what's genuine information and what do I know I can look to as like a valuable source that's like good. Yeah, and I think a lot of people really struggle with that. I, that was one of the reasons I started my podcast because I know when I had first started getting involved in this, there was so much information and it was so overwhelming. I didn't know where to start or what to see as what was real and what was not. I mean, I could tell somebody was ripping off of Harry Potter, of course. Oh, for sure. But, you know, <laughs> when, when you're taking this in a serious lens, it's hard to differentiate between that. So um, once I kind of got a grasp on who was a more reputable source or what was a little bit better of a thing to read versus another thing. That's when I was like, okay, well, let me help some other people out. <laughs> so that's when I started my podcast. Yeah. But I think that sometimes that just comes with experience and time. You know, if you For spend sure. time in the witchcraft community, you spend time reading the books and getting to know all the different people who, whose voices are out there, you can kind of 
start to develop your own opinions on what you think is credible or reputable versus what's not. And I think that also experience ties into that. And you have to actually do the work <laughs> to see yeah. if it's successful or not. That's true. And um, if you're just reading everything and never actually getting up and casting a circle or doing a spell, you're, you're never, you'll never actually have that experience to be able to go back on and see if it was real or not, or if it's reputable. For sure. And um, I think discernment's a skill you kind of have to build up like with any other skill and that'll come with time, like you said, for sure. Yeah. And I'm, I am really glad that you started your podcast because like, that's why I started my podcast. I was like, this, this girl's doing something. (laughs) (laughs) No, I I really did appreciate it though, just because especially with like more traditional, like initiatory types of Wicca, there's not that many people talking about that. Um, At least maybe not like a super public kind of way. So it was really helpful, I think, for a lot of people, I'm sure that like you had some information out there that was like accessible and people could understand. Yeah, you know, I never expected it to get to where it is. Um, it's quite shocking for me to this day when I see people posting in these initiatory seeker pages about how they got there from this podcast. And I'm just like, oh, no, what did I do? <laughs> <laughs> um, I'm, I'm totally kidding. But uh, yeah, I, I I was am still, you know, my mind's still blown by how many people have found this initiatory space or initiatory spaces or covens because of the podcast. And um, yeah. I'm really grateful to have been able to be part of anyone's journey into finding that. For sure. And this is, this is deviating from our list a little bit, but I think this will be cool for those that maybe are not sure. um, What would you recommend for kind of finding um, an initiatory group or coven or circle if someone's interested in that? Yeah. So if somebody is interested in finding, let's just say a coven in general, because I think the first step you have to do is, well, there's a couple things you should do, but one of the very first, most basic things is you got to see what's actually feasible and what's around you. That's true. Because if you want to join, let's say a type of tradition, whether it's initiatory or like an eclectic group or whatever, you have to see if if they're even in, you know, within your reach, um, are you willing to go fly to a different state for training? If you really want to practice in this one tradition, that's a thing that people do. And, um, you know, when you're a seeker that can kind of sound, uh, outrageous or like, Oh, what do you mean? People fly to different States. But I mean, I know of people who've flown to different countries (laughs) completely just to get training. Um, so I think the first thing is to do is to see, what's around you. The second thing to do is to read up a little bit about what that group's about. Now, if it's an eclectic group, meaning that they don't follow any sort of tradition, they kind of have their own way of doing things. It's not a group that's, I don't know, like the Gardner and Alexandrian group, for example. Right. Uh, it's important to, you know, read up on the group, um, you know, reach out to the coven members if you're interested in uh, getting more information. But I would very much recommend that before you reach out to them, and even after you read up on all of your information, it's really important to check your own time with yourself and see if this is something that you can commit to long term. Uh, you know, I came into this not really knowing the time expectation it was going to need. Yeah. Luckily, I, I was I fell in love with it. And so I made the time for this to work. But, you know, if you're working three jobs, you have a new baby and, you know, maybe you have transportation issues. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> you know. You want to make sure that, like, that's all completely fine, but you want yeah, to make totally. sure that you have that time and availability and capability to 
give this practice the time that it deserves and respects For or sure. the, the time that it, yeah, the time that it deserves. And, um, if you realize that this certain point in your life is not the best to take on a whole new, you know, thing to be doing in terms of group practice, then maybe this is not the best time to find a coven. And as it turns out though, like, you know, covens and witches and the gods and all that, like this is, you can always find somebody. It might not be in your area. You might have to travel, but mm. it's not impo- like the gods aren't going anywhere. If you're looking at this in a religious way, a wicked way. Yeah. Um, that's something I've had to say to a lot of people, but as it turns out, it's true. They're not going anywhere. And if this isn't the right time in your life, then there's no harm waiting a couple years till you have more space in your schedule to make this feasible. That's really important. That's really important. Yeah. It, it is a commitment. And I think, um, I had a similar experience to you where I was a little caught off guard by like how much of a commitment it actually was. And yeah, that can be kind of jarring if you're not prepared for it, like working full time, like in school or both or something like it's, it's a lot. So I would definitely agree with that and say, kind of really honestly ask yourself these questions. And if you have time, that's cool. And if not, that's okay too. Yeah. And there's another aspect to that too, is uh, when you're checking your schedule, let's say, okay, yeah, I do have some time, but my only time is seven o'clock on Tuesdays and like 3 p.m. on a Sunday. Well, that, that's totally fine. But you also have to check with the group that you're potentially interested in training with because it comes down to you have to mold to their training versus they mold to your schedule. Now, some groups are flexible and they'll work with you. I know with our students, we've worked with them about what their schedule kind of looks like. And, you know, we, we're not trying to make this impossible. But, For sure. Uh you also got to make sure like you are able to go based off the coven schedule and not expect that they're going to bend over backwards for your schedule because as a seeker, it's your job to reach out to them and do what you can to get to them first for training um, and not the other way around. And that's what makes at least Gardneri Wicca, for example, different is we don't recruit people. We don't, um, what's the word? Proselyte? Yeah. Uh, I, can't, I can't say the word. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> uh, but, but essentially we don't recruit people. Right. Um, and we're very much of the mindset of you have to come to us. And so th- that just kind of goes with the schedule. Make sure that if you do have the time, that hopefully it aligns with the group that you might be interested in. Yeah, we we do wear our dark robes and go door to door on Samhain looking for converts. But like, that's it. <laughs> <laughs> exactly, exactly. Um, okay, so I do want to get to um, some more of the questions we have and be timely with that. Um, so a lot of people have wanted to know, like, if they're in a situation, maybe they're like a dorm or they have a roommate or maybe they live with their families that maybe wouldn't enjoy them being a witch or being a Wiccan. Are there some ways you would recommend having an altar or some sort of devotional practice that's not like obviously um, going to out them in their witchcraft? Yeah. And I'm so sorry for the uh, ambulance you're hearing in my background if oh, you hear that. <laughs> no worries. You're good. Um, You know, I think one of the cool things about witchcraft becoming so mainstream right now is that it's really easy to buy things that are kind of in this realm without people or without it being like super obvious. Um, Also, in general, like you, I mean, I don't know, like you can also buy like a little pentagram earring or something and be like, oh yeah, that's my Halloween costume, you know, and just kind of keep it around after, you know, a couple months and a whole year later, it's still on your, on your on your nightstand and <laughs> yeah. somebody asked you, I'd be like, Oh, that's from Halloween. I just never put it away. It's fine. <laughs> <laughs> but you know, I guess it depends on what you want your altar to look like. If you're working with the elements, that could be a very easy altar to put together without it looking overtly witchcrafty. You know, yeah. you could have some shells from the beach. You could have a little 
thing of water. Um, you obviously a candle for a fire, you know, some sand, you know, you can make it not as stereotypical, um, as you may imagine it to be. Mm -hmm. You can also use the triangles, like symbols for the elements. You don't necessarily have to, you know, use a pentagram to show like the star with the different, um, or pentacle, uh, with the different, uh, elements within it. Um, if you want something more of like a God or deity sense, you can always just put things on a table or wherever you have space or even a shoebox, you know, that you keep under your, under your bed that you only pull it out occasionally. And you could put things that are associated with that deity. You know, maybe you're working with, uh, a God that's associated with the forest. So maybe you put like some antlers in there, some leaves or plants. And oh my gosh, there is like a, all these cops going by my house now. <laughs> so sorry for your help. It's okay. <laughs> um, I would say if you are interested in a shoebox altar, just be aware that, you know, if you are, let's say you're living on your parents' roof and, you know, let's say you're in a situation where unfortunately your parents look or your guardians, they look through your items. Um, just be wary because if you do a shoebox altar and you just have a, a box full of I don't know, antlers and <laughs> some, some plant clippings <laughs> that might raise some eyebrows. Yeah. But, um, yeah, I think that there's definitely ways that you can have an altar where it's not so sneaky. I think the first step would be seeing what, what do you want your altar for? Do you want it for a deity? Do you want it for yourself? Do you want it for the elements and just finding things that are associated with that? Your altar doesn't have to look like black candles and a giant pentagram, you know, it can for look sure. like anything you want it to. And I would say that that might even be one of the downsides of, like, the large social media presence of witchcraft. Because I think some people think that they have to have these, like, really elaborate, really expensive altars that, like, fit a witchy aesthetic. Things like that. And it doesn't have to look like that. No, no, not at all. And, you know, you want if you want a goddess statue, well, think of what are some associations of how you view a goddess. Is it maybe having some fresh flowers that you keep in your room every day? Is it a really pretty crystal or a stone? Is it, I don't know, just a blend of essential oils that you've melted or you poured into a candle that you made? You know, there's a lot of different ways you can go about this. It doesn't have to look like the stereotypical Instagram, you know, witchy aesthetic altar. For sure. So um, another thing I think that comes up a lot for uh, newcomers is kind of such and such thing happened to me is that a sign or am I being contacted by a spirit or a god or something or I saw such and such animal does that mean something things like that um so do you have any advice you would give to those people who maybe don't know how to interpret those things maybe aren't sure how to um take that I guess if that makes sense yeah yeah so I have a lot of thoughts on when people ask about is X, Y, and Z a sign. Um, I think that there is nothing wrong asking for an outside opinion. However, I would recommend that if you are going to ask for an outside opinion, if something happened to you, ask somebody who is close to the situation or might know a little bit more of the background knowledge of or history of why you were saying, do you think this was a sign? Because if you post on Facebook or Instagram or Twitter, a random picture of something or, you know, even if you explain kind of a story and you ask, do you think this was a sign? You're going to get opinions ranging from yes, no. Oh, did you consider this? Or like, oh, this happened to me. And like, you're never going to get an actual legitimate answer yeah. from the internet because those people don't know you. 
And even if you were to ask the people close to the the situation per se, um, they don't really know everything either. I think that in witchcraft, especially when people are first starting out, people struggle with feeling empowered to make or say that they're a witch or believe in their magic. And I think that as time, that confidence in your craft builds. Um, I, I think that I'm trying, I'm trying to see how I can phrase this. If something is a sign, I think it's supposed to be individualized to you. And only you can actually determine if you think it's a sign or not. I agree. I yeah. think that not every single thing that ever happens to a person is a sign. Like sometimes it's just coincidence. Sometimes it's just, you know, how it went that day. But only you can really determine that yourself. And if you're asking random people on the internet, they're not going to actually know the answer. You really have to look inside yourself and say, do I think this is a sign? Yes or no. And if you really are struggling with it, that's when you could do things like divination. That's a great method. For sure. That's also when I'd recommend reaching out to people who know a little bit more of the background history of why you may think something's a sign to really get their input on it too. I think it's really good advice. Um, yeah, no, definitely. I think it's going to be filtered to that lens of like your personal experience and things. So um, a lot of people aren't going to be able to necessarily tell you if something's a sign or not. And I agree. Yeah. Yeah. Okay, I think we are coming up close to the end of our time. Do you um, have any parting words of wisdom for our listeners, Ashley? Sure. So if anybody here is interested in learning more about how to join a group or if they just kind of want to see the covens that are around them, I would highly recommend going on this website called Mandragora Magica. Um, I know that's kind of a weird word, but... <laughs> so, I'll spell um, it in the episode description so you don't have to perfect. sound that out. <laughs> Perfect. Weird in the sense of I want to make sure that you'd get the spelling correct, but yes, perfect. If it's going to be in the episode description, definitely check that out. Um, yeah, I would recommend checking that out. Look at your state, look at the states that are close to you that you may be able to drive through or drive to. Um, and if you find a group on there that looks interesting, then definitely if they're a group that has a tradition uh, or if it's like a group based off a tradition that has a larger Facebook group, I would recommend vetting that group to make sure that they are who they say they are. I know that can yes. sound kind of scary to do as a seeker, but it's actually really common and highly recommended. Yeah, for sure. Yeah. So I would say check out Magic or Magica, see what's around you, see what your actual schedule looks like. Um, and then I guess the last thing I would say is that don't be afraid to reach out to a coven, even if your background knowledge is pretty minimal. Um, I think that there could be pros and cons to that. Sometimes when you come into, let's say if you want to get into a tradition, sometimes there could be some unlearning that happens when you're training with them For based sure. on reading, you know, X amount of books, but turns out those books might not have actually been the greatest books. And so now you have to kind of un or relearn some things. And that could be a tricky process. Um, and then on the flip side, if you come into a tradition where you don't know a lot of knowledge on, on witchcraft, it's kind of like coming in with a blank canvas, which is nice because it's a lot easier sometimes to grasp these concepts. Neither one of these is better than the other, but as somebody who came into witchcraft with zero knowledge at all of pretty much anything before I joined an outer court, <laughs> I, I always kind of felt like I was at a big disadvantage compared to the people that I was training with. And through time, I realized that I actually had my own advantages um, and my own disadvantages too, but they also did as well. And so I just want to say, Make sure, you know, don't feel bad based on where your skills and witchcraft, because we all start somewhere and you got this. Very good advice. And then quickly before we say goodbye, where could people find you on social media? Yeah. So I have a Twitter. It's at seek witchcraft. 
and Instagram, which is at Seeking Witchcraft. I have a Facebook group called Seeking Witchcraft Podcast. It's mostly just memes. And I have a uh, Facebook group called Witches Seeking Witchcraft. Awesome. Well, Ashley, thank you so much for coming on. I really appreciate it. Yeah, no problem. Thank you so much for having me.